See You Now is a podcast highlighting the innovative and human-centered solutions that nurses are coming up with to solve for today's most challenging healthcare problems. Created in collaboration with Johnson & Johnson and the American Nurses Association and hosted by nurse economist and health tech specialist, Shauna Butler. The pandemic broke down barriers that had been in place for the nursing profession for decades. Things were happening in record time. Nurses were taking on new roles and leading in ways that hadn't been seen before. So many reports get published every year. We could not deliver a report to the field that was tone deaf, that nobody would be paying attention to anyway. We need to make sure that this is something that's a living, breathing document. We want people to shift their perception. We didn't want that report to sit on a shelf. If we're really out here supporting nurses, we have to take the time to understand and learn from this pandemic. Part of making the research actionable is going through a fairly specific process of rehearsing the future. It should be ideas that people can tap into and say, hey, this applies to what I'm doing in my part of the healthcare system. How do I give this a go and give it a test and learn? Welcome to See You Now. I'm Shauna Butler. COVID-19 precipitated an avalanche of calamity, one that includes care delivery crises, organizational crises, supply chain crises, and workforce crises. And whenever there's a crisis, you can count on a slew of reports to follow. And for good reason. It's how we chronicle an inventory, understand, evaluate, and explain, make sense, and find meaning, honor, and learn, and move through and ahead from any cataclysmic event. And in doing so, in hopes that mistakes are not repeated and successes are built upon. While COVID-19 has been an instigator of calamity and uncertainty, it's also been an unmatched driver of warp speed healthcare transformation. One that in breathtaking and countless ways saw nurses fuel and lead this transformation sprint. It's critical that the momentum and gains of nurse-led transformation not be lost and that the data, experience, and learnings be recorded, analyzed, and brought to life in the form of well-researched and authoritatively written reports. And so, in this first in a series of episodes, we're centering on one such report, Accelerating Nursing and Transforming Healthcare, released in July of 2021. Along the way, we'll introduce you to other reports of significance to nursing, technology, innovation, and health equity. So listen in as we go behind the scenes on a reporting adventure to discover the intriguing backstory and fine details of how reports, their evidence and recommendations can be the power data tools for building the preferred future of nursing. For some background, history, and perspective on landmark reports that have had a profound impact on nursing and healthcare, we reached out to nursing legend Sue Hassmiller. A few decades back, when Sue joined the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the foundation was focused on workforce development, physician workforce, and public health. And really, nothing of note being done on nursing. But with a change in leadership in the early 2000s, a pivotal opportunity presented itself when the new president, eager to make a mark on the foundation's history, asked everyone at the foundation if they knew of anything aligned to the foundation's mission that they should be working on. And if so, she was open to proposals. Let's hear Sue's reaction. I said, wow, this is quite an opportunity. There's nothing going on here much in nursing. And I sort of think that our nursing profession has a lot to do with improving the value of health and healthcare for all. So I put together a paper on why the foundation should be involved in providing grants to nursing. And right after that, my president said, you're gonna have a team, you're gonna have your own budget. And we have spent about $500 million worth of nursing programming. So we did a lot. I'm Sue Hassmiller. I am Senior Advisor for Nursing at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And that is the country's and perhaps the world's largest health philanthropy. I'm also the Director of the Future of Nursing Campaign for Action. And for these past three years, I have served as a Senior Scholar in Residence at the National Academy of Medicine 
and advisor to the president there on nursing. The work Sue was leading at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation was finding recognition beyond the foundation. Impressed by the success of their investment in nursing programs, the board of directors were in search of high caliber validation of the benefit of the foundation's investment in nursing. And after a while, Governor Tom Kane of the 9-11 Commission, he said, you know, we need a commission on the future of nursing. And so they asked me to figure out a way that we would have some kind of a blue ribbon, whatever, a blue ribbon panel, blue ribbon, you know, report on the future of nursing. Well, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, you know, has a big enough name. But then we thought, wow, wouldn't it be like awesome if we could have a report at the Institute of Medicine, which is now called the National Academy of Medicine, because if you have a report coming from that organization, it is ironclad. Why is it ironclad? Because you get a committee of experts together and they come up with all of the background, the research, and then make recommendations based only on evidence and research. So the first report the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation funded and released in 2011 was The Future of Nursing, Leading Change, Advancing Health. But Sue realized there was way more to it than just publishing a report. We didn't want that report to sit on a shelf. So many reports get published from this place every year. And uh, I would ask you, you know, how many have you really ever heard about? Maybe a handful. You could probably, uh, on the top of your Don't head. test me here, Sue. Okay. <laughs> You're going to make me look really bad. I, you know, I know two the, of them. <laughs> crossing the quality chasm might be one, right? That might yeah. be one. To, to yeah. air. Yeah, about. To, to air is human, but, but yeah. that's really, you know, but what we know about. You're right. You're plumbing the depths. Like, like what's the top 10 best-selling, uh, most popular, like, I have no idea. I don't think the general public does, even the health professionals. Right. Well, this report came out, and honestly, after many, many years of being in service to our country, the National Academy of Medicine has put out thousands of reports. And this report, the first report, The Future of Nursing, Leading Change, Advancing Health, has never slipped from its number one slot. It has been number one on the hit parade since 2011, the most downloads, the most sold books. And um, the organization has never seen anything like it. So, you know, why? Here's why. Because we didn't let it sit on a shelf. When it came out, we decided um, to figure out a way to get this report implemented. So I sort of began thinking about an implementation project and began talking to a lot of people and how they do this. And lo and behold, I just started talking about the C word, campaign, and nobody <laughs> flinched. And so I started talking about, we're going to do a campaign. We partnered with AARP because this report was about the health of the public. Yes, it was nursing's role in the health of the public, but we really wanted to capture the importance of it was the health of the public. So for 10 years, we've had this campaign that I've directed, the Future of Nursing Campaign for Action, because it's been about action. Oh, Shauna, it was such a time of panic, crisis, emotion. Linda Benton is a senior director in the Global Community Impact Group of Johnson & Johnson, where she leads their 125-year commitment to supporting the nursing profession. In that capacity, she speaks with nurses, nursing students, nursing educators, nursing leaders, and nursing fans and advocates around the world. We asked her to think back to the summer of 2020, to a peak moment of the pandemic crises. It was very clear that nurses were front and center doing the work that they were doing, you know, saving patient lives every day. But it was also very apparent that this pandemic was taking an incredible toll on the nursing profession. COVID shifted into high gear everything about healthcare, including the sense of urgency to not only record and report what was transpiring, but also to learn from it and build on it. 
In her capacity at J&J, Linda was the mastermind and energy behind partnering with the American Nurses Association and the American Organization for Nursing Leadership to produce the Accelerating Nursing, Transforming Healthcare Report. We asked Linda to give us a behind-the-scenes understanding of a report whose title captures the urgency and gravity of the moment. What you heard a lot about in the media with um, you know, nurses being the only one that could be in the room with patients as they were passing away because of the restrictions to visitors and what have you. So, you, you know, we heard those stories day in and day out and just adding to what nurses do day in and day out in, in providing patient care. And at the same time, you know, you'd hear when those patients were able to come off uh, the vent and eventually be discharged, how the nurses were gathering in, in hospitals and playing Here Comes the Sun and rejoicing together that they were able to save someone. So it was, it was constantly for me, it was like this, um, this up and down mm-hmm. in relation to the highs and the lows. And on any given day, no matter where these nurses were, they had to be prepared to be able to deal with that. So they had and to be re- remarkably flexible. And in the midst of this powerful emotion of fear, concern, being stretched to your limits, I, I think you were also hearing these stories of power and triumph in a way that in their careers, they've just not experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a part of the genesis for the, for the report that we did. The pandemic broke down barriers that had been in place for the nursing profession for decades in ways that no one could have predicted. We always talk about when you want, want to drive change, you give us a few years and we'll, you know, we'll get there. Things were happening in record time um, and nurses were you know, taking on new roles and, and doing new things and leading in ways that hadn't been seen before. And maybe nurses had been doing it before, but it hadn't been seen. So all of a sudden we were seeing nurses leading command centers and teaching people, um, you know, the basics of the latest technology in terms of how they're caring for patients, just a variety of things where nurses were able to step up and lead in a very visible way that was cool. That was the upside. If we could say there was an upside of the pandemic, it was that the pandemic brought down these long-standing barriers and really allowed nurses to step in and step up and do the things that we know that they're educated and ready to do. And I think from my perspective with Johnson & Johnson having supported the nursing profession like we have for literally now 125 years, I felt an incredible sense of responsibility that we needed to really step in and understand really what was going on. Because as an organization that really, really values the input and the impact of nurses on a daily basis, I needed to understand what was happening and how was the nursing workforce being impacted amidst this global pandemic of which we've never seen anything like this before. And as a way to understand and learn from it, because like we said, with so many barriers that came down, There's a lot of learnings that come from that. There was a lot of tragedy that came out of the pandemic, but there was a lot of positives. So I said, if we're really out here supporting nurses the way that we are, we have to take the time to understand and learn from this pandemic and how it impacted the nursing profession as a way to understand where the nursing profession needs to go as healthcare continues to evolve. When you're saying we need to do something. Yeah. Um, We need to understand it. We need to get under the hood and understand what is happening out there because I just knew that there was something going on underneath it all that I was really trying to get to the heart of. And we needed to do it at the period in time, because if we didn't do it, then we would have missed the window. Right. And to really understand what was happening. J&J does these large scale quantitative research studies, you know, every few years. And, you know, and I've done several of them now with the nursing profession as a whole. So I kind of had the background in terms of what had been happening in the profession, how people were looking at nurses, how nurses were feeling as it relates to being a nurse, you know, based upon quantitative research we had been doing again, past, let's go back 10 years or so, and just really felt that it was time to take a fresh look and understand that while we're in the midst of this pandemic, what is happening at the same time, I knew that, you know, we're, we're Johnson and Johnson, which is great, you know, healthcare company, but I also felt that we were going to get the insights because I am not a nurse. I'm a passionate nurse advocate, but I'm not a nurse by educational background. Um, I wanted to make sure that we were bringing nurses who were in leadership roles to help us really understand the questions to ask, the things to look for, so that we had a really relevant voice in the conversation. And I knew that J&J couldn't do that alone. So that's where we brought in AONL as well as ANA because of their reach and, and, and scope 
to get that fresh perspective as it relates to the nursing profession. So to bring in two big organizations to partner with on this, I think was a really important step for us. There are a lot of reports and people can spend a lot of time looking at them. Why this one? How do you explain it? And what do you think its significance is? So you're right. There are a lot of reports. And my concern with this one from day one, I said to people, we need to make sure that this is something that's a living, breathing document. That it is not something that people go, oh, that's interesting. And it goes into a folder or a file someplace and never gets seen again. And we were also acutely aware that the future of nursing work was going on. When I looked at the future of nursing report, which is a really important report, evidence-based research, looking at social determinants of health, we knew that was coming but felt that the Accelerating Nursing Transforming Healthcare report would provide a different perspective. Certainly both reports look at things like health equity, for example. Our report was really sticking our toe in the water in the midst of a pandemic. So while theirs was based upon research throughout the years, this was a very clear point in time where we were doing extensive quantitative research with 4,000 stakeholders, and then taking the learnings from that quantitative research in August of 2020, and then hosting our uh, qualitative interviews with 33 nurse, nurse leaders or nurse advocates from there on in. I think the reports work together, but ours is really much more about a relevant point in time, trying to get some actionable learnings out of it based upon the pandemic itself. While the Accelerating Nursing Transforming Healthcare report focused on the learnings emerging from the pandemic, the pandemic and global cries for racial justice were impacting other reports as well. Let's return to the conversation with Sue Hassmiller and the future of nursing reports. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has been a leader in demonstrating how you actually build a culture of health. Most of our health doesn't happen within the healthcare settings. It happens out in the community. So building that culture of health based on evidence, based on partnerships has been about reaching out to these different sectors. Yeah. And that brings us to the second report, Shauna, because people ask me, what's the difference between the first and the second report? Didn't we get it right the first time? (laughs) We have to do another report? Do we have to do it all over again? Um, No, here's why we did it. Here's why we made this uh, uh, another very significant investment. Because we have been building our capacity over these 11 years. Yeah, covid took us by surprise and it it caused a a massive hit in our nursing profession. But we've been getting more nurses to a baccalaureate, you know, more doctorate level nurses, more nurses on boards, more diversity in nursing. We've hit all of these issues. And as my foundation really transitioned to looking more and more into what creates a culture of health and really determined and made a shift, a major shift in our foundation to these social needs and social determinants and then health equity. These are the things that keep people healthy and well in the first place. And we're talking about if someone has food in front of them, we're talking about if they have a roof over their head, if they have a way to get to work, um, if they are uh, in the company of other people who care for them and they're not socially isolated. So these are the things that really affect a person's health. So that when I went back to the foundation for this second report, it was about, look, we are the richest nation. We spend over $3.5 trillion a year on health. Oh my God, can you even say that number? And for what end? Now we're going to go to numbers you can write in single digits where we are in in, um, all of these indicators of health. We are abominable when it comes to maternal child morbidity and mortality, chronic disease. So for the richest country in the world to have the worst indicators, does that make sense? I don't think so. Particularly for how much money we've spent. I mean, we should have the best health. We should have the best health outcomes. Uh, we, We certainly should. And we don't pay attention to what makes people healthy and well in the first place, those social determinants. So this is what the second report is about. It's how nurses might have value in addressing health equity in this country. So we were supposed to come out with the report in December, 2020, but what was going on in December of 2020? Not life as usual was COVID. And we could not in good conscience 
uh, deliver a report to the field that was tone deaf, that nobody would be paying attention to anyways. Oh, and not only COVID, but the, the racial injustices that were coming um, alive too. Uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And so between COVID and the cries for racial justice and our report being about health equity and this COVID laying bare all the inequities in our healthcare system, boy, did we have a lot more material to work with. So we delayed the report and worked for six additional months to bring in a lot of extra material about racial injustices, about COVID, about nurse well-being, about nurses being prepared at times of disasters and public health emergencies. So uh, it was a different report. And thank goodness, I don't thank goodness for COVID or the racial injustices, but I will tell you that the report is a different report. What are some of the examples where the report, the power of these reports have had impact beyond our borders that really kind of delighted and caught you by surprise? Nurses and nursing leaders have taken the report and the evidence and the recommendations to decision makers and policy makers mm-hmm. about what they think needs to be changed. And then they have the power of the report and these words behind them and action has been taken all over our country and all over the world. There has been significant progression allowing nurse practitioners uh, more autonomy, decisions about nurses being able to practice to the top of their education trainings, changing standards and policies in healthcare settings. So people have the power of the report and those words and the evidence behind them. When the first report came out, and especially around our uh, recommendation that nurses should practice at the top of their education training, there were a lot of physicians upset. They went to um, the Institute of Medicine president and said, they want this undone. Well, you can't undo the evidence (laughs) and you can't undo recommendations. That's not the way the process works. You talked about how these reports are put together. You see the word consensus, but that lacks a lot of the energy that goes around consensus. Consensus is a lot of hard work. We kind of gloss over how hard these conversations can be Mm -hmm. and and the amount Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. discussion and debate that goes on to get to a place where this is something that we can all agree on. This is something that we can state as our institutional, organizational position. When you say this is a consensus report, mm. that's a hard thing to get to. Yeah, this is, this is a very interesting question. The material in this report was so difficult, very different than ma- the material in the first report. The first report, there was a lot more agreement about nurses moving forward to a baccalaureate degree, nurses on boards. When you get into material where you had to really talk about racism and 400 years of slavery and how we got here. If you just think about the diversity of committee members we had to bring together, and that's the key. You don't want everybody thinking the same way, politically and sociologically and culturally. And then you lay on top of that the fact that we had to come up with recommendations that um, our consensus space, what does that mean? It means that everybody really had to sign off on the recommendations based on the research we had. People in the public, when they see the report, they may see that we've fallen short. You didn't recommend this and you didn't go far enough on that. Well, you got to understand, again, that it, it could only be based on research and evidence. And we may not have had enough research and evidence for a particular recommendation. And everybody had to agree on it. So if you put all those things in the mixer, what comes out is you had to keep pressing the reset button and the reset button and trying to talk to people and seeing how we can come up with something. When I'm reading through the future of nursing report, the 2020, 2030, it does feel that it is speaking to not only the moment, but what is next and what, what we're 
called upon to do and what we're capable of doing. And I, I think the, the part that really set the tone for me is the dedication in the report. And I, I wanted to read part of that. This report is dedicated to the nurses around the world who paid the ultimate price of caring for people during the COVID-19 crisis of 2020 and 21. Hundreds lost their lives and many thousands became sick themselves. And those who escaped the physical symptoms of the illness did not necessarily escape the physical and mental toll of working long hours in grueling circumstances, sometimes without proper personal protective equipment. Their dedication and persistence in the face of adversity saved countless lives. For them, we look to the future of nursing to help ensure that what happened to the nursing profession this year and those in their care, especially the disadvantaged and people of color, becomes an event of the past. This dedication for me, there was so much honesty and weight and urgency. And when I read that, it really created a, a framing and a much, much deeper meaning. It gave me this uh, purpose in making sure that when I absorbed this material and I looked at the stories and I read these powerful recommendations, it certainly gives me a much greater conviction for implementing the recommendations. This seems rare, um, but I'm curious, how, how does it make you feel? Hmm. Well, if, if, you, if this were on video right now, the audience would see me crying. Um, not only for, for the words, probably the way you read it, you read it so beautifully, <laughs> but it brought me to tears for two reasons. One, I know full well what it takes to put these reports together. And it really has nothing to do with emotions or advocacy. These are research-based, evidence-based reports, and the advocacy must stay out of these reports. And it's for the public and it's for the receiver of the report to take these reports and make it their own and create action. To the nurses in this country and in, in this world and what they were going through at the time we were writing this. We wanted to tell them that we saw you and we heard you. It's not something that the National Academy of Medicine does. They don't really do dedications and they certainly don't do anything this emotionally laden. And it had to go through some levels of approval to, to make it into this report. And now for you to have paid attention to the words and Knowing what the nurses have gone through, it just brought me to tears. We cannot rest now. Again, this is a report, but people have to take this report and actually do something with it. And that's really what the call to action is now. Speaking of converting recommendations into action, let's get back to our conversation with Linda Benton and the Accelerating Nursing Transforming Healthcare Report. So when you take a look at this report, there becomes three main areas of discussion. So in the actual delivery of care, like how do we make this happen for people? In the organizational structure, how do we organize ourselves, you know, across these ecosystems to make sure that people get what they need, where they need it, when they need it? And then there's the workforce portion of it. What what are people doing? Where are they doing it? How are we training them? How are we preparing them? Um, it, it ended up with these three areas, but did it start out that way? I mean, how did all that structure come into being? No, we didn't have that structure. We knew that we were fielding the quantitative research. We didn't know what was going to come out of that. Um, and we really wanted to see the quantitative findings, share that with some, uh, shall we say, nursing and nurse advocate friends and family to get their perspective on it. And then that was gonna help us really delineate the path forward um, because it can be overwhelming. If you look at the quantitative research, there's a lot of data there, but we needed to give it some structure. We knew we couldn't boil the ocean. So ultimately when, when our three organizations put our heads together, again, with the, with the input of our friends and family um, in the nursing world, we really can't, that's how we arrived at those three different topics of care delivery, organizational structure and workforce of the future. And some of the things that we learned, Shauna, they play in all three of the papers. So it's definitely, they're all interconnected, but that was the best way that we could figure out how to divide up the content and the interviews 
um, you know, to really bring the papers to, to life. And that is a really hard piece of, we have so much data. The problem is we don't have actionable insights. And one of the things that I find really powerful is actually the title. There are two important verbs in here, accelerating and transforming. So you sit at this interesting spot that's way above a lot of the activity. When you are listening to the stories, looking at the data, taking the insights and organizing it, what is it revealing? Our healthcare system is in dire need of an overhaul. And when you think about a nursing workforce that there's 4 million here in the U.S., they've got the insights. It's a matter of tapping into those nurses as, as a piece of the equation to really understand where we need to go and how we're going to get there. Because they are in every corner of every community, Shauna, as you well know, um, they've got expertise in so many different areas that touch healthcare. And we need to do more to really understand and learn from nurses in order to make this happen. Why did you pick accelerating and transforming? Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> funny. We had we had a lot of debate about this. And we, we chose accelerating because we felt that that shows a, a positive trajectory. It wasn't just increasing, we're accelerating. So we're going to take the impact the nursing workforce has had already and we're going to accelerate it. Um, and then transforming is because that's what we need. Healthcare as we know it cannot work and does not work the way that it's currently out there. <laughs> um, it needs healthcare transformation. And that's where I think, again, the nursing workforce comes into play. What I love about accelerating is that it has the feel of speed and yeah. urgency. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, you mentioned the future of nursing report and there are an enormous amount of reports. They're prepared in different ways. Um, they uh, do different things and no one report can speak to everything. But when we put them together, they all lend weight to each other Yeah. with the goal of accelerating and transforming. How do you want people to use these reports? I want them to be used, period. I want people to yeah. really take the time to read them and understand them and really think about how does this apply to the work that they do. That was one, I was on the future of nursing calls and that was one of the um, requests that I heard come in, you know, day in and day out on these calls is people were saying, okay, so what's the roadmap? Like, how do I get started? What can I do? Make it make it something that I can actually wrap my arms around and, and do something. And so, you know, hearing that on the future of nursing calls, all, you know, very relevant, um, we want to do the same thing with this report. So that's where with the Accelerating Nursing Transforming Healthcare report, that's why we added as many exemplars as we could to show people what good looks like. But basically, um, we're trying to make these these papers, and they are very intentionally short and, and to the point, because we don't want it to be something that just overwhelms people. It should be ideas that people can tap into and say, hey, this applies to what I'm doing in my part of the healthcare system. How do I give this a go and give it a test and learn? How would you recommend folks in the, the technology community specifically? Because we've leaned a lot on technology, technology, data, um, and regulatory. How would you recommend that they listen to and, and, and interact with these reports and the people who are behind them? I think there's a role for everyone. And when it comes to tech, what we found time and time again, and I continue to hear it even today, is that these things are developed with the best of intentions. But these pieces of equipment are developed without nursing's input. And if nurses are one of the key stakeholders that's going to be using it in patient care, they should be getting the voice of the customer very early in the process and throughout. That's how you really build technology that's going to be utilized in the proper way with a nursing workforce. This moment in time, you get to hear a lot of different conversations. And if you had a wand and three wishes, what would they be? I want to bring this information to people outside of what I call the nursing bubble, because to your point, if we're going to drive real change here, we've got to get more people in on this to take a look at this data and think about how we can bring it to life. Whenever I'm talking to people and we're talking to a group of nurses, always encouraging people to extend themselves beyond their comfort zone when talking to other nurses, take it to other people, other committees, other leaders outside of the nursing workforce and, and the, the space to see what can be done with it. I just believe more than ever, Shauna, having done this work, that where we are with healthcare today doesn't have to be this way. And if we can just take some of the simple steps that are outlined in this report, we're going to start to move things in a different direction. And that's with nurses helping to lead the way. Taking action is how a report and its evidence findings and recommendations come to life 
and catalyze progress. But that can't happen in a bubble, especially when it comes to healthcare. Many partners and sectors are needed for transformational change. Let's get Sue's take on what's needed. Nurses need to be leaders globally around these issues of health. So there are really so many reports that we can use together. These reports are powerful. They are tools for catalyzing progress and for making the case for why we can move forward, why we should move forward, the, the dangers of not moving forward, you know, the harms that, that, that happen for not being oriented towards action. Nurses need to get involved in, um, yes, their own profession have a voice, but they need to get involved in those other sectors, food, transportation, social isolation, climate. So I want to talk to the people who are leading those sectors in homelessness and food and transportation. Look, you're making a lot of policy decisions about some very, very important things that affect health, and you don't have a health voice necessarily on your board or your committees. And I really want to admonish you and ask you <laughs> to bring nurses into your fold as well. Nurses need to insert themselves in other sectors and those other sectors need to value and understand the health voice, the nursing voice that will enable them to make the best decisions possible. So, as with any report and its set of recommendations, we've given you a lot to digest. How to innovate to improve care delivery, organizational structure, and the nursing workforce of the future. And it's that last word, future, which is what all of those things have in common. And few people are better prepared to help us navigate the future more than quantitative futurist, Amy Webb. Hi, I'm Amy Webb. I am the CEO of the Future Today Institute and the author of The Genesis Machine, my upcoming book with uh, my co-author, Andrew Hessel, about the futures of synthetic biology. So I founded the Future Today Institute, uh, I guess, 16 years ago. The Future Today Institute publishes an annual emerging tech and science trends report. And our purpose mm -hmm. is, is to help companies deal with volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, and complexity, all of which are um, orders of magnitude more challenging than in the past. And the way that we do this is actually not by making predictions, but by making sure that, that organizations are prepared. Um, and the way that you do that, at least in our case, uh, is that we actively track forces, signals, and trends using a, a series of frameworks and tools. It's very data-driven. We rely a lot on quant and qual data, and we build models. And at the end of that process, our longitudinal trends, so these are long-term activities that are shaping society born out of macro forces and, and the signals that help shape those, uh, those forces. Um, and then we use that information to do scenario modeling, which is, I think, really what futurists are probably known for. Mm -hmm. Everybody who is trained in this discipline uses some version of a similar methodology. And when we do the job well, we have significantly reduced uncertainty so that our clients can make the bold decisions that are typically pretty big bets and, and they take big risks. But I think the important key takeaway here is being a futurist is about reducing uncertainty and managing through complexity, it is very much not about making predictions. And our firm primarily focuses on technology and science as our core fundamentals. We work intentionally across different industries. So as this relates to you, we are looking at tech and science trends, but relating them back to the future of patient care, patient experience, academia, everything having to do with health, as we do with every other industry. We produce an annual report. We make it available for free. And it's my understanding that this report has now kind of become industry standard in a lot of other places. So 2022 will be the 15th edition of this report. And it continues to grow in part because we're also covering a few more areas than we used to. But because every time there's a major change of some kind, it 
resets the game board and we wind up with so many new things that are happening. So the trend report got so big that we could no longer print it. Have you actually seen it in print? I have. I was just going to ask okay. you to, to again, give that description because I mean, the last one you. I saw was yeah. 800 pages. It's, um, yeah. well, it's actually 13 books. This is what it now looks like. I realize everybody who's listening can't see this. It's a series of volumes that I can barely hold in one of my hands. So it's now 13 books. Next year, I think it's 14 or 15 because we added some mm -hmm. sections. We're very upfront. You're not supposed to read this in one sitting. It would be horrible. And it's also somewhat outdated the moment that you get it. So this is not meant to be the end of your work. And I think that's where so many people get research wrong. A trend report is a snapshot in time, but this report we give away because we want people to shift their perception as they're thinking about the future. And part of that means taking in much more signal data than you normally would. So if you're looking at the futures of nursing, healthcare, equity related to health. I also want you to be looking at the future of things like artificial intelligence and synthetic biology and home automation and synthetic media. You know, these are things that are adjacently related, but have some impact on what that future looks like. And what's useful is that we group it by the technology. So it's like 5G, 6G, computer networking, telecommunications, robotics, supply chain. We don't do like, here's the future of healthcare. Instead, mm -hmm. it's like, here's the future of all these different things. We want you to think more expansively. That's the, right. the point of this. And next year, it will be the 15th edition. And the theme is reperception, which is oh. a core aspect of what we do professionally. So you hear futurists talk about reperception, which is a core way of doing work. It's taking something that you're already familiar with and seeing it in a new light. So you can't have the same expectations that you did pre or during COVID. Things are different. So how can we re-perceive now the world in front of us and use these trends to do that? When you're talking about trends and signals, what are those two things? Right. So we use uh, our sort of wheel of disruption. Um, so imagine a set of concentric circles on the very outer ring are what we call the 11 macro sources of disruption. These are areas uh, from which most change comes. However, there's no one person in control or one company or one country. And these tend to be primary sources of change. So we're looking at things like, you know, economic data. Uh, we're looking at things happening with geopolitics, infrastructure moves, things, things like that. And in these areas, usually there is ample, hard, quantitative data that we can we can look at. Um, so it's ten, it tends to be sort of primary source change. So so we start there. We usually are looking at like what's the future of X as we're mm -hmm. doing this, right? Um, and then we're looking for signals. So what's different? What's changing? And and you know if we're looking at what's the future of healthcare, we would be forcing ourselves to think about healthcare through the lens of let's say the environment or infrastructure or something else. And then we also look at science. What that reveals are weak and strong signals. So weak signals are things like increase in pre-pub mentions of something on, on pre-pub servers, academic servers. We're looking at minor changes, developments that are, that are still going to take some time to mature, things like that. Strong signals are influxes of capital or big R&D developments or just like an obvious warning sign. That gives us a candidate for a trend. And once we have that set of trends, we have a, a process to calculate the timing and trajectory because it's not enough to see the change. We have to know what's happening with it. Um, so again, this is like very different from gathering some experts in a room and asking them what they think to make, you know, to like make a prediction for next year. Yep. Very, very different thing. How do you take this great information and these findings mm -hmm. and these recommendations and put it to the, its most powerful and best use? So a couple of things. Back to our trend report for just a moment. The last page of each one of the volumes of this trend report is questions. So now that you've gotten to the end of this, here are questions that you should have in your organization. Here are the threats and opportunities that 
this set of trends raises, it's the beginning, not the end. And I think that's part of the disconnect. I think that sometimes there are reports that come out and there's a ton of great information and nobody knows what to do. The, The next step is to do scenario modeling and it's just very methodical. One of the most insightful things that you said was that taking action is a really important part of better understanding the future. And so this this concept, you know, when you talk about not predicting the future, but rather connecting to it so that you Mm -hmm. have um, a better understanding of a plausible future, that it gets a little Mm -hmm. bit more clear. And that's really where you're hoping that leaders, you know, you're giving them these incredible, incredible tools. In our practice, we talk about rehearsing the future. We, We have a very hard time imagining ourselves in the future for a bunch of reasons, most of which are biological. But we do have practice doing it. My colleague, Melanie Subin, who's our head of consulting, has a great description of this. And, and she would say, if you've ever gone on vacation, you have rehearsed the future. You imagine yourself from the moment that you've decided you're going to go, you imagine what the weather is going to be like, what you're going to do when you get there, activities, what are you going to wear, how are you going to pack, right? You're doing all of these things in service of this vacation. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's like mechanical. Uh, sometimes it's fun. It's a it's a daydream. We don't use that ability, that skill, when we're thinking about the future of our professions, our organizations, our industries. So you have to do that with intention and usually a guide. So part of making the research tangible and actionable is going through a fairly specific process of of rehearsing the future. If you don't do that, then it's going to be a report that sits around and and you know attracts dust. Are there any trends that we're not paying attention to that are obvious that we should? I mean, yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, There's a lot happening, obviously, with the climate emergency that deserves more critical Mm -hmm. attention beyond the usual suspects. There's a lot happening in the world of crypto, which is, I think, important for the medical profession to take some interest in because there are some implications there for pharmaceuticals and tracking and patient records and things like that. Obviously, artificial intelligence. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Now, putting some of these trends into action, I would start tracking all of these home-based diagnostic companies. I would be tracking wearables. Facebook's meta announcement has a fairly big, I think, impact on the future of health and health equity because Facebook's broader gadget ecosystem includes glasses. There's a watch that's supposedly in development that'll be collecting behavioral biometrics and other types of health-related data. I'd be looking at the companies that are making it easier to port these data into EHRs. I would be scouring the landscape for some of these changes because ultimately, if you were to ask, what's the future of health? And I was literally just talking to my colleague about this. If we were to ask, what's the future of health? She would say, well, it depends on who you are, because for some people, the future of health is going to be about optimization. And for other people, the future of health is going to be about crisis management, right? And being seen. And if you reframe the question that way, I think you start to get to very tangible actions that could be taken in every community. Amy Webb is a quantitative futurist and the founder and CEO of the Future Today Institute. pandemic revealed in no uncertain terms the essential and extensive roles of nurses as change agents, innovators, and transformational healthcare leaders. And we have the data to back that up. The Accelerating Nursing Transforming Healthcare Report was inspired equally by the pandemic's tidal wave of anguish and innovation. The stories and data Evidence and exemplars in this report are meant to capture and build on the pandemic-induced change that benefited patients, nurses, and health systems. And as Linda describes, getting under the hood to really get into the heart of the change and doing so in the midst of the crisis was a window of opportunity not to be missed if we were to preserve and accelerate the momentum and transformation, even while we were still dealing with the challenges of this pandemic. As Amy shares, absorbing the data and research of a report is just the beginning. We need to shift our perceptions as we think about and rehearse the future. And as Sue, Linda, and Amy each emphatically state, 
these reports and their recommendations are meant to be the action figures in your practice and career. So lean into the rigor, marvel at the elegance of their design, delight in the wealth of data, expertise, and resources behind their creation, and let their collective weight, power, and magic be the catalyst for reducing risk, managing complexity, and making your case for transformation toward our preferred futures. Coming up in the next episodes, we'll share stories that animate transformations in care delivery, organizational structures, and the workforce of the future, the three chapters of the Advancing Nursing Transforming Healthcare Report. Special thanks to our episode guests and report mavens, nursing legend Sue Hassmiller from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, nursing champion and advocate Linda Benton from Johnson & Johnson, and quantitative futurist, author, and CEO Amy Webb of the Future Today Institute. Each of them, believers in the power and magic of obsessively researched, evidence-based, engagingly presented reports in bringing great things to life. For See You Now, I'm Shauna Butler. Thanks for listening. Johnson & Johnson is proud to power up nurse-led innovation that is transforming health outcomes through skill building, leadership development, and more. The American Nurses Association ignites and celebrates nurse-led innovation to redefine quality nursing and advance health care for all. Learn more at cunowpodcast.com.